Welcome. If you're visiting with us today, especially glad to have you. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to get to meet you after the service. Um, I'll be down front. Uh, we are in a sermon series entitled The People of God. We have this Sunday and next Sunday left, and then we'll be ready for our Advent series that leads us up to Christmas. Um, all through this series, we've been learning over and over again this, this continual theme, right, that God uses people like us to carry out his redemptive story. And those characters from the Old Testament who we typically um, look to as heroes, right, we're seeing that these are just ordinary men and women who God uses anyway to bring about his redemption story. And, and, and that leads to us, right, that we sitting here today are still part of that same redemptive story, that God can work in our lives and through our lives. And so today we've made it to Hosea. So I've got to kind of lay some groundwork for us, and then we'll move into the book of Hosea. Um, so we, we made it to the point um, about a month ago where the kingdom of God, the nation of Israel, was divided, right, north and south. And this lasts for hundreds of years. Well, in the midst of this divided kingdom, um, a lot of things happen. Both the north and the southern kingdom um, are overrun by um, outsiders, uh, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And not only do they come in and kind of take over and rule and reign God's people, but they destroy the temple, they sack the cities, and they begin to introduce their gods into the lives of the nation of Israel. Now, here's what happened. So it wasn't like one day the nation of Israel is walking the straight and narrow, worshiping Yahweh, and then the next day they're like, you know what, let's do something different and worship a different God. What happened for the nation of Israel was kind of a slow fade gradually over time began to adapt the practices of worship of the people around them. Well, one of the gods of the, of the nations around them was the god Baal. And, 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 and so the nation of Israel had began to kind of drift towards worshiping Baal and adding Baal worship to their regular worship. And the thing about Baal was that Baal was known as the god of fertility. Okay, and so this, this came into play like with agriculture, like growing crops, um, Baal was known to be the God of rain, the God of human fertility. And so for the nation of Israel, right? So what they did is instead of just abandon, abandoning Yahweh, the, the creator God, and going after this other God, they just added this worship to the mix. So they continued what they thought was the worship of the one true God, but then they added in some little fertility worship of Baal. And over time, what happens, right? The moment you begin to add any other God or deity or idol to the mix, Yahweh automatically gets downgraded, right? Because all of a sudden, he's not enough. And so then over time, what happens is the nation of Israel began to abandon God altogether. Well, here's the good news, though. What we've seen in the last three weeks is that even though the kingdom is divided and, and the people of God are turning to other gods, God is still working. He's still providing a message of hope. We saw through Daniel a few weeks ago how God used Daniel in the midst of all this exile and, 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 and rebellion to send a message. Remember the message of Daniel? As Daniel interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, God said to the nation of Israel, I am not done yet. Yeah, there are all these earthly kingdoms, but there's a rock coming who will destroy these earthly kingdoms and bring them to nothing. And then that rock will become the mountain the place where God's people gather and worship. And we saw this foreshadowing of Jesus through Daniel's interpretation. Now we've seen through the prophets, we saw last week how even in the midst of rebellion, God is still sending a message of hope through the prophets. Well, here's what's cool about Hosea, okay? So not only is God gonna send a message of hope to his people in the midst of divided kingdom, chasing after other gods, God's gonna use Hosea's life as a living metaphor, 
to illustrate who he is and what he wants to do through the nation of Israel. Think about that. God takes your story. He says, here's how we're going to write your story. We're going to write it in such a way that everybody else, when they read your story, will see who I am. And so God's going to ask Hosea to do something crazy. He's going to call Hosea, right, to go and to take a wife, which doesn't sound like too big of a deal, right? He's going to tell him, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go find a prostitute and make her your wife. And then you're going to have children with her. And then I'm going to tell my story through your story. Now, there are a lot of verses in the Bible that I can remember the first time I read them. Not all of them, but there are certain ones that like when I read it for the first time, like it stuck out and I was like, whoa, Hosea is one of those for me, right? Because of one, just the content catches you off guard. It's got a little shock value to it. You're like, whoa, those words are in the Bible? But second of all, when you read the story of Hosea, it paints this amazing portrait of the entire Bible. Like the whole story of the Bible is summed up in the first three chapters of Hosea. And so we're going to pick this up in chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, now keep that in mind, Hosea is going to be a prophetic figure. God's going to speak through him. When he first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Now there's some shock value there, right? How many of y'all expected to hear those words when you came into church today? Right? So now our, our tendency is to want to kind of soften that message up, isn't it? Can't we just say like an unfaithful person? Can't we make it a little softer? Well, the reality is that this word is in your Bible for a reason. So our question today is, what are you trying to tell us, God? Because you've got our attention now. If you're going to use words like that, we want to know what you're trying to say to us. But what we see in that first verse that we read together, verse 2, is that what God is going to do with Hosea is really bigger than Hosea. Did you catch that? He says, I want you to go take for yourself a wife of whoredom or a prostitute, and I want you to have children of whoredom. Here's why, for the land commits great whoredom. So this is not just about you, Hosea. It's about what's happening in the land around you, okay? And so we don't know for sure where God's gonna go with this, but we know, right, that God's looking at a bigger picture than just Hosea's life. So we'll pick this up in verse three. So he went and he took Gomer. That was the lucky woman's name, Gomer. He took Gomer. Uh, the daughter of the blame, and she conceived and bore him a son. Okay, so now they've got kids. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for, he, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So now a couple things are happening. First of all, we're going to see that through the names of the children, God is going to tell us something about the bigger story. And already, right, God is doing that. He's pointing to some things that have happened previously in the nation of Israel. So let me give you some context. So this, this place of Jezreel represented a place where something very grotesque happened. See, among the Israelites, those who were beginning to worship other gods, there was one specific person who was promoting worship of Baal. 
And this person was given permission to murder a fellow Israelite who worshiped Yahweh God. And where did it happen at? Jezreel. So, like many of us, when we mess up in life, we sin, what we like to typically do is just move on, right? Just sweep it under the rug. And so when we think about God forgiving our sins, right, that's how we like for him to operate. Don't bring it back up again. But God is bringing it back up again, isn't he? He's not allowing sin to just stay hidden. Have you ever done that? Try to cover something up and it just keeps coming back up? Just keeps coming back up. Why? Because God, right, wants to deal with it, right? Now think about that. In order for God to be real in our lives, we got to deal with the real messes that we make in life. And so this is what God is doing. He's not bringing it up to rub their face in it, to show them, look at how wrong you are. He's saying, listen, I want to deal with the real mess, so we need to talk about Jezreel. And so he brings up Jezreel as a reminder of this previous sin and this heinous rebellion. Now, moving forward. Verse 6, not only did she have one son, look, she's going to have some more kids. So, good old Gomer. She conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy. Now, there's a common biblical name. You guys have friends by No Mercy? <laughs> it's kind of a strange name. Call this one No So the, the first one is going to remind us of Jezreel, this, this heinous thing that happened in, in, uh, from a Baal worshiper. And now I want you to call your next kid, your precious little baby girl, call her No Mercy. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah and I will save them by the word or by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. Verse eight, when she had weaned no mercy, she's ready to have another kid. What's this one gonna be called, right? Look at what, look at what it says. She conceived and she bore a son and the Lord said, call his name, not my people. For you are not my people and I'm not your God. This story's not going very well, is it? I mean, it started off with kind of a romantic tone, kind of like pretty woman. Richard Gere and Julia Roberts, right? Gonna go rescue this poor woman from the red light district. Give her the life she's never had. Like, let her be somebody. And like, the story just keeps going downhill. What's Hosea thinking all this, right? Is this what he dreamed about when he was a teenager? What's your wife going to be like? Oh, let me tell you. First of all, she's going to be a prostitute. And then we're going to have these kids with these really ugly names. Like, no, like, this is not going the way he thought it was going to go either. So what's God doing here? Because this doesn't sound like it's leading to anywhere good, does it? I remember last week, as Nick was preaching through Zephaniah, in the first couple of chapters, there's like this building anger from God right? This building judgment and indignation against the sins of the people. But then it turns and it goes a good way. And so we go to verse 10 and we see that God is telling the same story here. Look at verse 10, yet. And that's a really important word, yet, right? Even still, even though these things are true, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea. Now, wait a second. I thought God was gonna pour out all of his anger on Israel and wipe them off the map. And now God is saying, even yet, 
The number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. Now that, that was a reminder of something for the nation of Israel. This takes us back several months ago when we first started the sermon series and we looked at Abraham and God said, hey, Abraham, I wanna do something through your story. I'm gonna bless you and your family's gonna become this huge nation. And then through your family descendants, I'm gonna bless all other nations. Do you remember how God reiterated that promise to Abraham? We looked at one of those examples where he said, hey, Abraham, come outside at night and look up at the sky. See all those stars? Try to count them. Those are my people, right? Look at the sand of the seashore and try to count the sand on the beach. You see all the grains of sand? Those are my people. And so in the midst of God's kind of burning anger here, right, his indignation towards the rebellion and the sins of his people, God says what? Hey, don't forget I made you a promise. Don't forget, I am counting you as my people. And then he goes on to say, and in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them what? Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together. And they shall appoint for themselves one head and they shall go up from the land for great shall be the day of what? Jezreel. Now, I was reading this this week, preparing for this sermon, and I read the first like 11 verses of chapter one. I went, wait a second, this seems like two different stories, right? Like the first half of this seems like the day of Jezreel is gonna be a bad day, right? A day of judgment, a day of God pouring out his, his wrath and his anger on people for being disobedient. But now God is saying, no, the day of Jezreel is something to look forward to. It's gonna be a blessing. It's gonna be something, something good. So what's happening? What's building in this in this story. Well, here's, here's what is gonna happen. So Hosea takes Gomer to be his wife. They have kids with these really crazy names. And you would think that Gomer would understand like this is a good thing and I've got it made here, right? What does she do? She, her heart begins to be drawn back to her former lifestyle and she actually leaves Hosea and the kids and goes back to be a prostitute. Right, so what, what seemed like this romantic love story now has taken a really dark twist because the woman who was rescued and brought into the good home has now left and gone back to her former loves and former lovers. Look at verse five. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water and my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Now, that's important because she's talking about all the good things that God gave to her by bringing her into a good home, right? Hosea provided all that for her and now she wants to go chase after previous lovers thinking that they will give her what? The very things that Hosea gave her. And here's the double, here's the twist to it all. God is painting a picture of the bigger story of Israel. And here's the irony. Whether you're worshiping Baal or chasing after some other false god, you come into that worship experience and you bring things like grain and oil and wine and you lay them on the altar to worship these false gods. And God's going, wait a second. I gave you the wine. I gave you the barley. Like I gave you all the stuff that you're taking into these, these, these temples of false gods and worship. Like I gave you that stuff. At least get your own stuff. <laughs> you, see, you see what's happening here. God's showing the nation of Israel their treason, their betrayal. 
You're taking the very good gifts I gave you, this abundant life I've gave you, and you're taking it into false worship. And she went after these things, thinking that in, in these lovers that she would find abundant life. Now, we'll continue reading here. God's gonna, in verse six, we read that therefore God's response, I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. What God is essentially saying is, listen, she's not gonna be successful here. She's gonna go chase after all these false loves and she's not gonna be successful. Verse seven, she shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but not find, she shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband for it was better for me then than now. Now, stop for a minute, okay? A couple things. One, that sounds like the prodigal son's story, right? The son who went out and squandered all this wealth and he's like, wait a second, it was so much better at home. I think I'm gonna go home and see dad. That's kind of this moment. She's kind of gotten to the end of her resources like, you know what? Hosea wasn't such a bad guy. I, you know, like he actually gave me these things I'm chasing after pause for a minute. I'd like for every man in the room to put yourself in the position of Hosea right now. First of all, God asked you to go, right, find a prostitute and make her your wife. You did that. You had children with her. Then she left you to go back to the red light district. Now she wants to come home. Do you, do you, you kind of feel that tension in the story? That's fine and well that you want to come home, right? But where's the promise that you're going to be able to come home? How do we know Hosea is going to let you back in? Like you've already torn the family apart, right? You've already damaged the kids. Why in the world would Hosea let you back in the house? And look at what she realized in verse 8. She did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. God is exposing some things about the heart of Gomer, she didn't realize that the abundant life came from Hosea, right? She thought she was gonna find it chasing after these false loves. He's showing the nation of Israel something too, right? You can chase after the abundant life and all these false gods and what you're gonna realize is that I'm the only source of abundant life, right? These false idols won't give you anything. They just consume from you, they take from you and they never give. What does this have to do with us? Listen, just like the nation of Israel didn't come to a stopping point where one day they were worshiping Yahweh and then the next day they were worshiping Baal. They did, it was a slow fade over time, right? We are a nation, we were a culture steeped in idol worship. Teenagers, you were growing up and getting ready to step into an adult culture that is steeped in idol worship. And most of the idols are good things. Like kids, yeah, children have become an idol in our culture. How do we know that? Because there's like this gravitational pull where everything in the family is leaning towards the children. I'm a Gen X person. We've got baby boomers and Gen X. You know what our big idolatry was? Our careers. Finding our identity in our careers. Because when I was your age, you know what, what adults would say to me? Or they would ask me, what are you gonna be when you grow up? Oh, I gotta be something? Yeah, what are you gonna be? Oh, you want... You want to plumb. Oh, you're going to be a plumber, right? And I was taught to find my identity in what I do. And if I'm going to have value, I have to be successful. 
And so guess what we did? We converted our jobs into idols, right? And we went to work every day thinking that work was gonna give us this abundant life. And then what did we find out, Gen X and baby boomers? Right, our work just takes, it never gives. Right, you guys are being offered up a, 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 a plate, a platter, a buffet of false idols. And they all look like good things, right? But God is saying, I'm the only source of good things. Don't take the good things I've given you and turn them into idols because they will let you down. They'll take from you and they'll never give in return. This is what we're seeing here now through the story of Hosea and Gomer. Now, husbands, I told you to try to imagine where you would be, right? Or men, like try to imagine that. Go get your wife again. What? No way. Let her come back home? I don't think so. Look at verse chapter two, verse 14 with me. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness, wilderness and speak tenderly to her. What? What kind of husband does that? That, that allure, that's to flirt with. He's going to He's not only going to let her come back home, he's going to flirt with her, lure her back into a relationship, and then he's going to take her on a picnic in the wilderness. Oh, that's where he's going to let her have it, right? No. He's going to recite poetry to her. He's going to speak tenderly to her. He's not going to treat her, listen to this, how she deserves to be treated. You begin to see the gospel, don't you? Right, the first few verses of, of, of Hosea seem like God's anger and his wrath are building, absolutely. But then he's saying, listen, instead of pouring out my wrath like a jealous husband on you and you deserve it, I'm gonna give you something you don't deserve. I'm gonna flirt with you. I'm gonna allure you back into a relationship with me. You see, God's saying, listen, I'm Hosea here. I'm Hosea. So, so who am I? You wanna know who you are? <laughs> you're the unfaithful wife. You're Gomer. You're Jezreel. You're no mercy. You are not my people. Now, we'll go to verse 16 of chapter two. This is where the good news comes in. What we're about to read is what Jesus comes to do in the gospels. This is the good news of the Bible. Verse 16, and in that day, pause, that phrase is so important. What day? The day of Jezreel, a day that's coming, right? So if we just read the first chapter of this book, we don't know what that day is gonna be like, do we? Is it gonna be the jealous husband, right? Giving the unfaithful wife what she deserves? Or is it gonna be the kind, loving husband who gives tender speech and, lures the wife back into a relationship. So on that day, verse 16 declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal. God is saying to his bride, I'm gonna win your heart back. I am gonna win your heart back. What? I'm gonna win your heart back. Like in the big story of the Bible, God's people are, 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 are called a bride. Did you know that? You're the bride of Christ. 
And if you'll fast forward in your Bible to the end of the story, there's a wedding coming. And Jesus is the groom. Go read the end of Revelation and and look at what Jesus wears to the wedding. He comes to the wedding as a warrior. I've been to a lot of weddings. (laughs) I have not seen anybody show up, right? With armor on, with a gun, ready for battle. But that's how Jesus shows up at our wedding. Why? Because he shows up to put all of our enemies to death and to to rescue his bride. You will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal. I'm gonna win your heart back. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth. All the previous lovers, she'll forget all the shame and embarrassment of what she has done in rebellion towards me. I'm not, she's not bringing that back into our marriage. I'm gonna cleanse her of all that. She's gonna forget the names. And they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. What a beautiful picture. The jealous husband, infuriated because his rebellious wife left and tore the family apart and squandered all that he had provided. And instead of responding in anger, he goes to her and he allures her. And he invites her back into a relationship, into the arms of safety to protect her. Verse 19, listen, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. How many times did God say he was gonna betroth us there? Did you count? Count it again, let's go back again. I will abolish the bow, the sword, the war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and mercy, and I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. How many times? Three times. You remember Peter? What you think about this? Fast forward to the cross after the resurrection. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. Okay, Jesus comes to Peter after the resurrection. What does he ask Peter? Peter, do you, do you love me? Notice how he didn't say, hey, Peter, you want back in on this deal? Hey, Peter, you wanna work for me? You wanna be one of my disciples? You wanna help me start the church? That, that, what, that wasn't what he asked, was it? What did he ask? Peter, where's your heart at? I don't want your service. I don't want all the great things you think you can do for me. I want your heart. Do you love me? And how many times did he ask him that? Three times. God reiterating his love for you and for me. I will betroth you to me. I will betroth you to me. I will betroth you to me. You'll call me your husband and you'll be my wife and you shall know the Lord. We won't have time to unpack this whole phrase, but that phrase, and you shall know the Lord. Um, If you'll rewind in your Bible back to like Genesis, when Adam knows Eve, she gets pregnant. 
Okay, so this is describing a very intimate relationship. And so what God is saying is, listen, I'm not gonna let you in just kind of as like, you know, on trial basis, like God's saying, no, you're gonna know me intimately. I'm, I'm alluring you back into an intimate personal relationship where you can know me. Do you, do you believe that? Like you can actually know God relationally. Like walk with him, talk with him, hear from him. Like that's what's being portrayed here. God is not some far off deity who sits in a temple and we show up once a year to pay homage to him and bring him gifts. God's like, you know what, scrap the gifts. I wanna walk with you. I wanna live with you. I wanna be in a relationship with you. Verse 21, and in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine and the oil and they shall answer Jezreel. I will sow her for myself in the land. I will have mercy on who? No mercy. And I will say to not my people, hey, let's change that name. What do you say? Let's change it to you are my people. And he shall say what? You're my God. See those names that the kids had represented the rebellious hearts of God's people. God wasn't being mean. He was just saying, this is how you're living. This is what you're acting like, right? And what God's saying is, listen, I'm gonna change your name. You shall be my people. We're gonna end by looking at the first five verses of Hosea 3 together. Verse one. And the Lord said to me, this is Hosea, go again, love a woman who, lo who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Verse two, don't miss this. This is Hosea. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. Now, I, you don't have to know how much grain that was, but he takes all the money he's got and all the barley he has, and what does he do with it? He goes and he buys this woman who left him. So he's not there as a benevolent man saying, okay, I'll let you back in. He goes and gets her and sacrificially does what? Buys her. Now think about that. And think about the bigger story of redemption. Listen, church, this is what Jesus did for you at the cross. He sacrificially bought you. If you're in Christ, you are bought with a price. You are not your own. And at that transaction, Jesus pays off all your debt, right? And he purchases you as his bride. Think about that. That's a big deal. The next time you think about the cross or you sing about the cross or you read about the cross in your Bible, I want you to think about that sacrificial price Jesus is paying to purchase you. That's a big deal. And so he purchases her back in verse three. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. And afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in, the, in fear of, to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Hosea scraped everything he had. He went and he purchased Gomer, 
God has done the same thing for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would have what? Eternal life. I know that it's easy to to succumb to the cultural pressure to worship other things. Heroes, icons, sports teams, careers, kids, friends, relationships, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, and to give ourselves to these things. But anytime you add anything else to the mix, you are downgrading God and saying you are not enough. Here's my question to you. Is God enough? Because that was Gomer's issue, like, Hey, this was all fine and well, Hosea, thank you for all this good stuff, but it's not what? Enough. And God is saying, listen, I am the only source of abundant life and I'm enough for you. So really the question of Hosea is not, why did, Hosea, why did God get so angry Why did God get so perturbed over the nation of Israel? The question is, why did the husband take her back? Isn't that the question? We understand why Hosea would get frustrated or angry or jealous, but what baffles us is that Hosea took her back. And God wants us to understand is like that same, like we look at that and go, that's ridiculous, right? That sounds ridiculous. And God says, you know what? Then let it be ridiculous. And that's the way I love you with that same kind of ridiculous love a love that goes beyond reason or what makes sense, a love you don't deserve. I'm not gonna give you what you deserve, but let's be clear, you deserve it. You deserve my punishment. You deserve my my frustration and my anger and my wrath. That's what you deserve, let's be clear on that. But understand this, because I love you so stinking much, that's not what I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you blessing. I'm gonna invite you into a relationship. I'm gonna, listen, I'm gonna take you back. Whoa, that's big, isn't it? That's big. I'm gonna take you back. Now, here's the hope for us today. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, maybe you came today trying to find out more about who God is and what the Bible's all about. And like, like here's what I want you to hear. Like God, this is God's love story for you. He's not calling you to get your act together and then he'll think about taking you in. God's like, no, 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 here, tell you what. Stay where you're at. Let me come to you. Let me, let me flirt with you and allure you into this loving relationship. And if you'll come to me, I'll wipe away the names of all the previous loves. Everything else that you loved before me, I'll wipe it away and I'll take you as you are right now, but I won't leave you as you are. I'll make you my wife. You come to me as a prostitute, I'll take you. Guess what? As soon as I wrap my arms around you, you're my wife. And if you're here today and you've never taken that step to trust in Jesus as your savior, as your king, as your ultimate first love, like today is that day, And I hope that when we stand to sing in a minute, you'll grab one of our prayer partners and just say, hey, will you tell me more about becoming a Christian? Like, I want that love. I wanna become that. But then I think about the rest of us today, the people who are already his people and how quickly we forget, don't we? How awesome God is, how quickly forget what he's done to purchase us and what do we do? Like a wayward wife, we're prone to do what? To wander back towards our false loves to go to them thinking they're gonna give us something God can't give. And so the question is, am I enough? And and we can easily say yes, right? But then God says, well, then why do you keep going back? Why do you keep going back to your job or your career thinking that's gonna validate you or give you purpose? Why do you keep going back to that relationship? 
Why do you keep going back to whatever it is thinking that's gonna do something for you I can't do? Am I enough? Okay, then if it's yes, <laughs> then stay here, right? Be my betrothed. And so I just challenge you with that if you're here today and you're a Christian, maybe today would be a day just to recalibrate your, your love and your affection for Jesus to say once again, I love you. Are you sure you love me? I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. So recalibrate your commitment to the Lord. I'm gonna pray for us now and our worship team's gonna come back up. Um, as they come up, our prayer partners are gonna come forward and then we're gonna respond together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this powerful message from the, from the book of Hosea. And it, it's, as strange as it sounds, God, thank you for using Hosea to paint this portrait for us. It's hard to imagine being in Hosea's shoes and being asked to do those just such crazy things. But God, in that we see your crazy love for us. We see your rel relentless pursuit of us. God, we see your endless mercy for us. And oh God, we are, we are moved this morning. God, so many of us have returned to the slums of this culture even though we've tasted the goodness of, of, of being yours and being, being called your children, God, we have, we've wandered away from that and we've returned to the slums. And God, today I pray you would once again allure us, God, out of the trenches of this culture into the goodness of your kingdom. And Father, I pray for any person here today who has never taken that step of faith to trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, to make him savior and king. God, I pray that would happen today before we leave this place. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move through this room, move through our hearts. As we respond, we pray this in Jesus' powerful name.